7. Separation of the oxygen from the hemoglobin at the tissues appears to be due to two causes, first, to the weakness of the chemical attraction between the atoms of oxygen and the atoms that make up the hemoglobin molecule, and second, to a difference in the so-called oxygen pressure at the lungs and at the tissues. 46. The attraction of the oxygen and the hemoglobin is sufficient to cause them to unite where the oxygen pressure is more than one half pound to the square inch, but it is not sufficiently strong to cause them to unite or to prevent their separation. If already united, where the oxygen pressure is less than one half pound to the square inch, the oxygen pressure at the lungs, which amounts to nearly three pounds to the square inch, easily causes the oxygen and the hemoglobin to unite while the almost complete absence of any oxygen pressure at the tissues, permits their separation. The blood in its circulation constantly flows from the place of high oxygen pressure at the lungs to the place of low oxygen pressure at the tissues and, in so doing, loads up with oxygen at one place and it loads it at the other figure 55. Passage from the cells. Since oxygen leaves the free state at the cells and becomes a part of compounds, We are able to trace it from the body only by following the course of these compounds. Three waste compounds of importance are formed at the cells carbon dioxide company 2, water H2O, and urea N2H4 company. The first is formed by the union of oxygen with carbon, the second by its union with hydrogen, and the third by its union with nitrogen, hydrogen, and carbon. These compounds are carried by the blood to the organs of excretion, where they are removed from the body. The water leaves the body chiefly as a liquid, the urea as a solid dissolved in water, and the carbon dioxide as a gas. The passage of carbon dioxide through the blood requires special consideration. Figure 55 Figure 55 Diagram Illustrating Movement Of oxygen and carbon dioxide through the body SD maggers. Each moves from a place of relatively high to a place of relatively low pressure. See text. Passage of carbon dioxide through the blood. Part of the carbon dioxide is dissolved in the plasma of the blood, and part of it is in weak chemical combination with substances found in the plasma and in the corpuscles. Its passage through the blood is accounted for in the same way as the passage of the oxygen. Its ability to dissolve in liquids and to enter into chemical combination varies as the carbon dioxide pressure 47 this in turn varies with the amount of the carbon dioxide, which is greatest at the cells where it is formed, less in the blood, and still less in the lungs. Because of these differences, the blood is able to take it up at the cells and release it at the lungs. Figure 55, figure 56, figure 56. So bubble floating in a vessel of carbon dioxide, illustrating the difference in weight between air and carbon dioxide gas. Properties of carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is a colorless gas with little or no odor. It is classed as a heavy gas, being about one-third heavier than air. 48, figure 56. It does not support combustion, but on the contrary is used to some extent to extinguish fires. It is formed by the oxidation of carbon in the body, and by the combustion of carbon outside of the body. It is also formed by the decay of animal and vegetable matter. From these sources it is continually finding its way into the atmosphere. Although not a poisonous gas, carbon dioxide may, if it surround the body, shut out the supply of oxygen and cause death. 49 Final Disposition of Carbon Dioxide It is readily seen that the union of carbon and oxygen, which is continually removing oxygen from the air and replacing it with carbon dioxide, tends to make the whole atmosphere deficient in the one and to have an excess of the other. This tendency is counteracted through the agency of vegetation. Green plants absorb the carbon dioxide from the air, decompose it, 
build the carbon into compounds starch, etc. that become a part of the plant, and return the free oxygen to the air figure 57. In doing this, they not only preserve the necessary proportion of oxygen and carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, but also put the carbon and oxygen in such a condition that they can again unite. The force which enables the plant cells to decompose the carbon dioxide is supplied by the sunlight chapter XII. Figure 57 Figure 57 Under surface of a geranium leaf showing breathing pores. Highly magnified OH Summary. Oxygen. By uniting with materials at the cells, keeps up a condition of chemical activity oxidation in the body. This supplies heat and the other forms of bodily energy. Entering as a free element, oxygen leaves the body as a part of the waste compounds which it helps to form. The free oxygen is transported from the lungs to the cells by means of the hemoglobin of the red corpuscles while the combined oxygen and carbon dioxide and other compounds from the cells is carried mainly by the plasma. The limited supply of free oxygen in the body at any time makes necessary its continuous introduction into the body. Exercises. 1. Describe the properties of oxygen. How does it unite with other elements? How does it support combustion? 2. State the purpose of oxygen in the body. What properties enable it to fulfill this purpose? 3. What is the proof that oxygen does not remain permanently in the body? How does the oxygen entering the body differ from the same oxygen as it leaves the body? 4. What is the necessity for the continuous introduction of oxygen into the body, while food is introduced only at intervals? 5. How are the red corpuscles able to take up and give off oxygen? How is the plasma able to take up and give off carbon dioxide? 6. If 30 cubic inches of air pass from the lungs at each expiration and 4.5% of this is carbon dioxide, calculate the number of cubic feet of the gas expelled in 24 hours, estimating the number of respirations at 18 per minute. 7. What is the weight of this volume of carbon dioxide? If 1 cubic foot weigh 1.79 ounces. 8. What portion of this weight is oxygen and what carbon? The ratio by weight of carbon to oxygen and carbon dioxide being 12 to 32. 9. What is the final disposition of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere? Practical work to show the difference between free oxygen and oxygen in combination. Examine some crystals of potassium chlorate cl 3 They contain oxygen in combination with potassium and chlorine. Place a few of these in a small test tube and heat strongly in a gas or alcohol flame. The crystals first melt and the liquid which they form soon appears to boil. If a splinter, having a spark on the end, is now inserted in the tube, it is kindled into a flame. This shows the presence of free oxygen, the heat having caused the potassium chlorate to decompose. The difference between free and combined oxygen may also be shown by decomposing other compounds of oxygen, such as water and mercuric oxide. Preparation and Properties of Oxygen Intimately mix 3 grams 1 to teaspoonful of potassium chlorate with half its bulk of manganese dioxide, and place the mixture in a large test tube. Close the test tube with a tight-fitting stopper which bears a glass tube of sufficient length and of the right shape to convey the escaping gas to a small trough or pan partly filled with water. On the table, fill 4 large mouth bottles with water and, by covering with cardboard, invert each in the trough of water. Arrange the test tube conveniently for heating letting the end of the glass tube terminate under the mouth of one of the bottles figure 58. Using an alcohol lamp or a Bunsen burner, heat over the greater portion of the tube at first, but gradually concentrate the flame upon the mixture. Do not heat too strongly, and when the gas is coming off rapidly, remove the flame entirely. 
putting it back as the action slows down. After all the bottles have been filled, remove the end of the glass tube from the water, but leave the bottles of oxygen inverted in the trough until they are to be used. On removing the bottles from the trough, keep the tops covered with wet cardboard. Figure 58 Figure 58 Apparatus for Generating Oxygen 1. Examine a bottle of oxygen, noting its lack of color. Insert a small burning splinter in the upper part of the bottle and observe the change in the rate of burning. The air contains free oxygen, but it is diluted with nitrogen. Compare this with the undiluted oxygen in the bottle as to effect in causing the splinter to burn. 2. In a second bottle of oxygen insert a splinter without the flame, but having a small spark on the end. As soon as the oxygen kindles the spark into a flame, withdraw from the bottle and blow out the flame, but again insert the spark. Repeat the experiment as long as the spark is kindled by the oxygen into a flame. This experiment is usually performed as a test for undiluted oxygen. 3. Make a hollow cavity in the end of a short piece of crayon. Fasten a wire to the crayon, and fill the cavity with powdered sulfur. Ignite the sulfur in the flame of an alcohol lamp or Bunsen burner, and lower it into a bottle of oxygen. Observe the change in the rate of burning, the color of the flame, and the material formed in the bottle by the burning. The gas remaining in the bottle is sulfur dioxide so too, formed by the uniting of the sulfur and the oxygen. 4. Bend a small loop on the end of a piece of picture wire. Heat the loop in a flame and insert it in some powdered sulfur. Ignite the melted sulfur which adheres, and insert it quickly in a bottle of oxygen. Observe the dark, brittle material which is formed by the burning of the iron. It is a compound of the iron with oxygen, similar to iron rust, and formed by their uniting. Preparation and Properties of Carbon Dioxide 1. Attach a piece of carbon charcoal no larger than the end of the thumb to a piece of wire. Ignite the charcoal in a hot flame and lower it into a vessel of oxygen. Observe its combustion, letting it remain in the bottle until it ceases to burn. Note that the burning has consumed a part of the carbon and has used up the free oxygen. Has anything been formed in their stead? Remove the charcoal and add a little lime water. Cover the bottle with a piece of cardboard and bring the gas and the lime water in contact by shaking. Note any change in the color of the lime water. If it turns white, the presence of carbon dioxide is proved. 2. Burn a splinter in a large vessel of air, keeping the top covered. Add lime water and shake. Note and account for the result. 3. Place several pieces of marble limestone in a jar holding at least half a gallon. Barely cover the marble with water, and then add hydrochloric acid until the gas is rapidly evolved. This gas is carbon dioxide. Does it possess color? Insert a burning splinter to see if it supports combustion. Place a bottle of oxygen by the side of the vessel of carbon dioxide. Light a splinter and extinguish the flame by lowering it into the vessel of carbon dioxide. Withdraw immediately. And if a spark remains on the splinter, thrust it into the bottle of oxygen. Then insert the relighted splinter into the carbon dioxide. Repeat several times. Kindling the flame in one gas and extinguishing it in the other. Finally show that the spark also may be extinguished by holding the splinter a little longer in the carbon dioxide. Tip the jar containing the carbon dioxide over the mouth of a tumbler, as in pouring water, though not far enough to spill the acid, and then insert a burning splinter in the tumbler. Account for the result. Inference as to the weight of carbon dioxide. Figure 59 Figure 59 Simple Apparatus for Illustrating Passage of Oxygen Through the Body Review Experiments Page 101 Showing the Presence of Carbon Dioxide in the Breath To Illustrate the General Movement of Oxygen Through the Body Into a Glass Tube 
6 inches in length and open at both ends. Place several small lumps of charcoal figure 59. Fit into one end of this tube, by means of a stopper, a smaller glass tube which is bent at right angles and which is made to pass through a closed fitting stopper to the bottom of a small bottle. Another small tube is fitted into a second hole in the stopper, but terminating near the top of the bottle, and to this is connected a rubber tube about 18 inches in length. The arrangement is now such that by sucking air from the top of the bottle, it is made to enter at the distant end of the tube containing the charcoal. After filling the bottle one-third full of lime water, heat the tube containing the charcoal until it begins to glow. Then suck the air through the apparatus as in smoking, without drawing it into the lungs. Observing what happens both in the tube and in the bottle, what are the proofs that the oxygen, in passing through the tube, unites with the carbon, forms carbon dioxide, and liberates energy? Compare the changes which the oxygen undergoes while passing through the tube with the changes which it undergoes in passing through the body. Chapter IX Foods and the Theory of Digestion The body is constantly in need of new material. Oxidation, as shown in the preceding chapter, rapidly destroys substances at the cells, and these have to be replaced. Upon this renewal depends the supply of energy. Moreover, there is found to be an actual breaking down of the living material, or protoplasm, in the body. While this does not destroy the cells, as is sometimes erroneously stated, it reduces the quantity of the protoplasm and makes necessary a process of repair, or rebuilding, of the tissues. This also requires new material. Finally, substances, such as water and common salt, are required for the aid which they render in the general work of the body. Since these are constantly being lost in one way or another, they also must be replaced. These different needs of the body for new materials are supplied through the foods. Foods are substances that, on being taken into the healthy body, are of assistance in carrying on its work. This definition properly includes oxygen, but the term is usually limited to substances introduced through the digestive organs. As suggested above, foods serve at least three purposes. 1. They, with oxygen, supply the body with energy. 2. They provide materials for rebuilding the tissues. 3. They supply materials that aid directly or indirectly in the general work of the body, the simple foods, or nutrients, from the great variety of things that are eaten. It might appear that many different kinds of substances are suitable for food, when our various animal and vegetable foods are analyzed. However, they are found to be similar in composition and to contain only some five or six kinds of materials that are essentially different, while certain foods may contain only a single one of these. Most of the foods are mixtures of two or more, these few common materials which, in different proportions, form the different things that are eaten, are variously referred to as simple foods, foodstuffs, and nutrients, the last name being the one generally preferred. The different classes of nutrients are as follows, nutrients, proteids, albuminoids, carbohydrates, fats, mineral salts, water. It is now necessary to become somewhat familiar with the different nutrients and the purposes which they serve in the body. Proteids. The proteids are obtained in part from the animal and in part from the plant kingdom, there being several varieties. A well-known variety, called albumin, is found in the white of eggs and in the plasma of the blood, while the muscles contain an abundance of another variety, known as myosin. Cheese consists largely of a kind of proteid, called casein, which is also present in milk, but in a more diluted form. If a mouthful of wheat is chewed for some time, most of it is dissolved and swallowed but there remains in the mouth a sticky, gum-like substance. This is gluten, 
a form of proteid which occurs in different grains. Again, certain vegetables, as beans, peas, and peanuts, are rich in a kind of proteid which is called legumen. Proteids are compounds of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, and a small percent of sulfur. Certain ones the nucleoproteids from grains also contain phosphorus. All of the proteids are highly complex compounds and form a most important class of nutrients. Purposes of proteids. The chief purpose of proteids in the body is to rebuild the tissues. Not only do they supply all of the main elements in the tissues, but they are of such a nature chemically that they are readily built into the protoplasm. They are absolutely essential to life. No other nutrients being able to take their place. An animal deprived of them exhausts the proteids in its body and then dies. In addition to rebuilding the tissues, proteids may also be oxidized to supply the body with energy. Albuminoids form a small class of foods, of minor importance, which are similar to proteids in composition, but differ from them in being unable to rebuild the tissues. Gelatin, a constituent of soup and obtained from bones and connective tissue by boiling, is the best known of the albuminoid foods, on account of the nitrogen which they contain. Proteids and albuminoids are often classed together as nitrogenous foods. Carbohydrates. While the carbohydrates are not so essential to life as are the proteids, they are of very great value in the body. They are composed of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, and are obtained mainly from plants. There are several varieties of carbohydrates, but they are similar in composition. All of those used as food to any great extent are starch and certain kinds of sugar. Starch is the carbohydrate of greatest importance as a food, and it is also the one found in the greatest abundance. All green plants form more or less starch, and many of them store it in their leaves, seeds, or roots. Figure 60. From these sources it is obtained as food. Glycogen, a substance closely resembling starch, is found in the body of the oyster. It is also formed in the liver and muscles of the higher animals, being prepared from the sugar of the blood and is stored by them as reserve food chapters I. Glycogen island on this account, called animal starch. Starch on being eaten is first changed to sugar, after which it may be converted into glycogen in the liver and in the muscles. Figure 60 Figure 60 Starch grains in cells of potato as they appear under the microscope. See practical work. Sugars. There are several varieties of sugar, but the important ones used as foods fall into one or the other of two classes known as double sugars disaccharides and single sugars monosaccharides. To the first class belong cane sugar, found in sugar cane and beads, milk sugar, found in sweet milk, and maltose, a kind of sugar which is made from starch by the action of malt. The important members of the second class are grape sugar, or dextrose, and fruit sugar, or levulose, both of which are found in fruits and in honey, the most important of all sugars, so far as its use in the body is concerned is dextrose, to this form all the other sugars, and starch also, are converted before they are finally used in the body, the close chemical relation between the different carbohydrates makes such a conversion easily possible, fats, the fats used as foods belong to one or the other of two classes, known as solid fats and oils, the solid fats are derived chiefly from animals, and the oils are obtained mostly from plants, butter, the fat of meats, olive oil, and the oil of nuts are the fats of greatest importance as foods. Fats, like the carbohydrates, are composed of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. They are rather complex chemical compounds, though not so complex as proteids, since neither fats nor carbohydrates contain nitrogen. 
they are frequently classed together as non-nitrogenous foods, purpose served by carbohydrates, fats, and albuminoids. These classes of nutrients all serve the common purpose of supplying energy. By uniting with oxygen at the cells, they supply heat and the other forms of bodily force. This is perhaps their only purpose. 50 proteids also serve this purpose, but they are not so well adapted to supplying energy as are the carbohydrates and the fats. In the first place they do not completely oxidize and therefore do not supply so much energy, and, in the second place, they form waste products that are removed with difficulty from the body. Mineral salts and their uses. Mineral salts are found in small quantities in all of the more common food materials, and, as a rule, find their way into the body unnoticed. They supply the elements which are found in the body in small quantities and serve a variety of purposes. 51 Calcium Phosphate and Calcium Carbonate are important constituents of the bones and teeth, and the salts containing iron renew the hemoglobin of the blood. Others perform important functions in the vital processes. The mineral compound of greatest importance perhaps is sodium chloride, or common salt. 52 This is a natural constituent of most of our foods and is also added to food in its preparation for the table, when it is withheld from animals for a considerable length of time, they suffer intensely and finally die, it is necessary in the blood and lymph to keep their constituents in solution, and is thought to play an important role in the chemical changes of the cells, it is constantly leaving the body as a waste product and must be constantly supplied in small quantities in the foods, importance of water, water finds its way into the body as a pure liquid, as a part of such mixtures as coffee, chocolate, and milk, and as a constituent of all our solid foods, see Table of Foods, page 126, it is also formed in the body by the oxidation of hydrogen, it passes through the body unchanged, and is constantly being removed by all the organs of excretion, though water does not liberate energy in the body nor build up the tissues in the sense that other foods do, it is as necessary to the maintenance of life as oxygen or proteids, it occurs in all the tissues, and forms about 70% of the entire weight of the body. Its presence is necessary for the interchange of materials at the cells and for keeping the tissues soft and pliable. As it enters the body, it carries digested food substances with it, and as it leaves it is loaded with wastes. Its chief physiological work, which is that of a transporter of material, depends upon its ability to dissolve substances and to flow readily from place to place. Relative quantity of nutrients needed, proteids, carbohydrates, and fats are the nutrients that supply most of the body's nourishment. The most hygienic diet is the one which supplies the proteids in sufficient quantity to rebuild the tissues and the carbohydrates and fats in the right amounts to supply the body with energy. Much experimenting has been done with a view to determining these proportions, but the results so far are not entirely satisfactory, according to some of the older estimates. A person of average size requires for his daily use 5 ounces of proteid, 2 and 1 half ounces of fat, and 15 ounces of carbohydrate. Recent investigations of this problem seem to show that the body is as well, if not better, nourished by a much smaller amount of proteid not more than 2 and 1 half ounces 60 grams daily. 53 While there is probably no necessity for the healthy individuals taking his proteid, fat, and carbohydrate in exact proportions if the proportions best sweet to his body were known. The fact needs to be emphasized that proteids, although absolutely necessary, should form but a small part not over one-fifth of the daily bill affair. In recognition of this fact is involved a principle of health and also one of economy. The proteids, 
especially those in meats, are the most expensive of the nutrients, whereas the carbohydrates, which should form the greater bulk of one's food, are the least expensive. Effects of a one-sided diet. The plan of the body is such as to require a mixed diet, and all of the great classes of nutrients are necessary. If one could subsist on any single class, it would be proteids, for proteids are able both to rebuild tissue and to supply energy. But if proteids are eaten much in excess of the body's need for rebuilding the tissues, and this excess is oxidized for supplying energy, a strain is thrown upon the organs of excretion, because of the increase in the wastes. Not only is there danger of overworking certain of these organs the liver and kidneys, but the wastes may linger too long in the body, causing disorder and laying the foundation for disease. On the other hand, if an insufficient amount of proteid is taken, the tissues are improperly nourished and one is unable to exert his usual strength. What is true of the proteids is true, though in a different way, of the other great classes of foods, a diet which is lacking in proteid, carbohydrate, or fat, or which has any one of them in excess, is not adapted to the requirements of the body. Composition of the food materials. One who intelligently provides the daily bill of fare must have some knowledge of the nature and quantity of the nutrients present in the different materials used as food. This information is supplied by the chemist, who has made extensive analyses for this purpose. Results of such analyses are shown in Table 1 page 126, which gives the percentage of proteids, fats, carbohydrates, water, and mineral salts in the edible portions of the more common of our foods. Figure 61 Figure 61 Relative proportions of different nutrients in well-known foods. Food supply to the table. The main problem in supplying the daily bill of fare is that of securing through the different food materials the requisite amounts of proteids, carbohydrates, and fats. In this matter a table showing the composition of foods can be used to great advantage. Consulting the table on page 126, it is seen that large percents of proteids are supplied by lean meat, eggs, cheese, beans, peas, peanuts, and oatmeal, while fat is in excess in fat meat, butter and nuts figure 61, carbohydrates are supplied in abundance by potatoes, rice, corn, sugar, and molasses, the different cereals also contain a large percentage of carbohydrates in the form of starch, table I the composition of food materials 54 food water solids proteid fat carbohydrates mineral heat materials matter value of 1 pound animal percent 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 calories 55 foods, edible portion beef, 63.9 36.1 19.5 15.6 110.20 shoulder rib 48.151.915.4 June 9 35 1790 sirloin 790 shoulder mutton, 61.838.218.3 leg loin 49.350.715.35.717.55 pork, 50.349.716 August 9 32.1680 shoulder ham, 41.558.516.739.1 2.71960 salted, smoked fat, 12.1 September 9 87 82.8, 4.235 salted sausage, 41.558.8 13.842.8, 2.1 
2.2265 pork bologna 62.437.618.842.8 chicken 72.227.824.41 eggs 73.826.214.9 may 8th 10721 milk 8713 3.644.7.7325 butter 10.589.6 may 3rd 